0: Discretionary listener participation is advised for the following pro wrestling podcast.
1: Say it loud. I listen to stick to wrestling and I'm proud. I want to thank James Brown for writing that song about his favorite podcast, stick to wrestling, where if you give us 60 minutes, perhaps indeed, we'll give you a raw boned and wicked good podcast. Uh, I want to invite everyone to join our Facebook group. Just get on Facebook, put in the word stick to wrestling, and you will find the Facebook group. I declined. I declined my first person who wanted to join the group. He put in his comment. He's like, I like college wrestling. Is this about that or WWE? And I did the guy a favor. We don't talk about college wrestling. Not that we don't like it. I also want to share some good news with everyone. There is a website called Chartable where they tell us how podcasts rank based on, you know, what they're about. And I learned that Stick to Wrestling is the number 35 podcast in wrestling podcast. Now, I know some of you are saying, oh, wow, number 35. Ooh, that's not even a bronze medal or anything like that. But hey, Stick to Wrestling is competing with Arn Anderson, Jim Ross. Chris Jericho, Renee Paquette, I'm not going to be number one ever. So I'm very happy with my rating, and I want to thank everyone for listening. I appreciate it. And we are going to bring on doing his maiden voyage on Stick to Wrestling. He is everyone's favorite grocery manager, Mr. Chris Zauha. Chris, how you doing, bud?
0: I'm doing real good. Thank you for uh, having me on,
1: John. I greatly appreciate it.
0: This is episode, I think,
1: 176. And you asked the greatest pre-show question ever. John, I swear a lot. Do I need to tone that down? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. that that's great. It's going to be a really good show. Thanks for coming on. We're going to celebrate or perhaps commemorate Halloween Havoc 1991 from 30 years ago. Chris, I know you watched it recently. I watched it recently for the first time in, God, close to 30 years. Did you order this pay-per-view in 1991?
0: I did not. So I went through a period from Bash 88 until Tuesday in Texas 91, which was the only Tuesday in Texas. For some reason, through our cable company, you could not get pay-per-view at all. You could I, I don't know why they shut off that, you know, thing, but you could order any pay-per-view. So I did not see it. I just saw like clips on TV and whatever they happened to post or put in the, uh, the after magazines at the time. So this, this, I've never seen it before until this past week. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, before
1: you saw it, what was your initial thoughts coming in? Did you have any? Coming into
0: watching it this week, you mean, or back in 1991? This week. I didn't have a lot of high hopes because I knew about the opening match. And I was concerned about the quality of the main event match. So I didn't, Overall, I had no—I did not have any high expectations for the show at all, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I was looking forward to it. It looked like a decent show on paper. Uh, Simmons and Luger looked good. Pillman and, and Morton certainly looked good. And I had no idea what was going to happen with the Chamber of Horrors. We'll get to that in a moment. One thing I, I noticed about the show, it was held in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And no offense to Chattanooga, but I mean, it, it came across to me as... Kind of, I mean, the WWF was having their pay-per-views in major cities 100% of the time, and WCW is doing a small arena in Chattanooga. It was full. That's the good part. The bad part was, like I said, it came across as kind of minor league.
0: Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. And at the, I was thinking like Chattanooga. I don't recall that being a big like Crockett or WCW like stronghold. So if they don't want to have it in like a big city like Chicago or or whatever, I would think they would have had it in like you know Charlotte or somewhere where WCW had a big uh, fan base. And I didn't know that that was necessarily the case in Chattanooga, Tennessee.
1: Yeah, the problem with Charlotte, Greensboro is that by 1991, those cities were completely burned out. They sometimes were not even drawing a thousand people in those cities. One other thing I noticed, they had a very Halloween based pay per view and on the ramp where the wrestlers came out, they had gravestones and all of them said something nonsensical. And I was like, Oh my God, give that to me and my friends. We would have some really funny stuff on the gravestones shots, the WWF shots at, you know, WWF stuff. But no, they just like, you know, here lies Brad. He died with his hand or something like that. But one of them said twins, 1991, which I thought was funny because the Braves were playing the twins in the world series yeah. at that
0: time. Yeah, a lot of them were pretty generic and kind of like, you know, funny to maybe like a five- or six-year-old, and they looked like they were made by like five- and six-year-olds. So yeah, to me, that that looked kind of like, okay, well, it's kind of Bush League, but whatever. I mean, if this is what they want to do, I mean, not my company. So if you guys think it's okay, then that's fine.
1: (laughs) All right, we're going to get the bad stuff out of the way right away. The opening match was a Chamber of Horrors match where an electric chair comes down, And we're told the match ends when someone is placed in the chair and one of their teammates flips a switch and electrocutes the guy in the chair. Basically, none of this was detailed to us before the show. It was Sting, El Higante, and the Steiners over Cactus Jack, Abdullah the Butcher, Vader, and Diamond Stud, a.k.a. Scott Hall. That is a lot of talent to waste in one match for a company that just didn't have a
0: lot of talent, to be honest with you. It's funny you say that because that's the first thing I thought was like, why is Sting and the Steiner brothers in this match? Because uh, to me, and again, I'm watching it in a vacuum. I don't remember all the angles leading up to Halloween Havoc from back then. So I'm like, why are you wasting the Sting and the Steiners in this type of match? And even like Diamond Stud, who I realized wasn't really figured in as like a, a top person at that time. But a Chamber of Horrors match doesn't seem to really play to like his strengths. He doesn't seem like a Chamber of Horrors type wrestler. Abdullah, Cactus Jack, that makes sense. Or even like Terry Funk, but not Diamond Stud and El Gigante.
1: No, and they brought in Cactus Jack at the last minute as a substitute for Barry Windham, which made no sense either because he was a baby face at the time and they yeah. had him teaming with the heels.
0: Yeah, and I, one thing I did notice, which surprised me, because we all have our opinions on El Gigante now and even back then, but I will say when he came out, he got a really big pop. I'm like, oh, holy crap. People here love him. He wasn't great, but I mean, people liked him. So whatever.
1: In, was it the beginning? Of, it was the beginning of 91. He came in and they put him against Ric Flair around the horn and the matches sold tickets. And the reason yeah. being, everyone was that tired of seeing Ric Flair versus Stinger and Lex Luger. He They, they were finally giving Flair a fresh opponent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely like, an interesting matchup it's like okay so flair's like six two or whatever and el Higante is legit like seven foot six or whatever seven foot seven like he's really really tall so it's like how are they going to make this like enjoyable for the viewer so i i would have gone to see that match out of just like sheer curiosity
1: yeah i mean he was legit seven foot seven which is incredible for a wrestler i mean you know the biggest yeah. guys we had before that, were like Ernie Ladd at six foot nine, John Studd at you know whatever exaggerated height he was at. Right. Andre was no, <laughs> never close to seven four. Yeah, yeah, he was a big
0: boy. That's for sure.
1: No, no, no questions asked. I, I thought this match was worse or as bad as anything that the cartoonish WWF had done to this point. I mean, I remember watching it with my friends and saying, oh, you know, this is the good stuff. WCW. And they come out of the gate with this match. I mean, the wrestling itself wasn't that bad. But I mean, the stuff that they did, for example, they had masked jobbers hiding in caskets inside during the match. And they would come out and attack the Steiners and get suplexed.
0: Yeah, I said the exact same thing. So I'm wondering if you watched me watching this or something. The the wrestling itself was fine. It's just the whole presentation and certainly the finish. Was just so, I don't want to like over exaggerate. It was so dumb. And they had the electric chair, which they wouldn't call an electric chair. They called it like the chair of torture. I'm or oh, no, that no, was it. like that, right? Or the chair, the chair of horror or something. I'm like, if you're not going to call it, then don't do it. Why, why are you even bothering? It's, if you're not going to call it an electric chair, then just don't use it at all. And just do like a War Games type match or something.
1: Uh, I mean, it, it was called the chair of torture. That's and I mean, come on. I mean, it, it was so ridiculous. And in the middle of the match, these guys all dressed up. There was like 10 of them. They were dressed up like Beetlejuice. And they come out with a stretcher. And Tony Schiavone says, oh,
0: those must be the ghouls. I'm like, what? <laughs> right. And as, as everybody sitting at home is going, oh, yeah, it's the ghouls, of course. Like, we have no idea what he's talking about.
1: It was, like I said, it was as bad as anything the WWF had ever put together. 30 years ago, I was beyond angry with this match. And like I said, the match itself wasn't that bad. They did a finish where Abdul the Butcher winds up in the electric chair and Cactus Jack thinks Rick Steiner's actually in there, pulls down the switch and fries his best friend, basically.
0: Yeah, that was really, really stupid. And it's like he's not looking to see who he's frying. It's like, you know, just so baffling. Just like you said. As much as we would make fun of, like, my friends and I, we would say, oh, WWF, that's all cartoon crap. I don't want to watch that. Well, let's watch WCW. That's real shit. And then you watch this. I'm like, okay, you know what? Never <laughs> forget what I said, because I was clearly not correct. Neither was I. I was I
1: was coming from the same place. I don't know if you know this, Chris, but the finish was based on what was going to be a storyline where being electrocuted gave Abdul the Butcher amnesia and he was going to return as reverend abdullah as a baby face to feud with cactus jack
0: i you're is, <laughs> are you are you, being, are, you being, are you being serious or no are you, are you serious i am totally being serious that was the plan well i don't know why uh, they backed out of it but that was the plan I, you know what i wish they had done that just so just so i could have seen it with my own eyes cuz that sounds so horrendous that it was probably it would probably be phenomenal just because <laughs>
1: I mean, one last note, Mick Foley was so great, even in 1991, and I definitely underestimated how big he could be in the business. Obviously, he's a legend, former WWF champion, one of the biggest stars on Raw during its glory period. You know, the guy was great on the stick. He was great in the ring. I just figured he didn't have the look, the musculature, etc., to get out of the mid card. And like on this night, I should have figured out that, Hey, this guy is really something special.
0: I love cactus Jack in his WCW years. um, Especially like 92, 93, like when he was feuding with Vader, that was great stuff. Yeah. He was fantastic. And to see what he ended up becoming is pretty cool. Cause he's from all accounts, he's a good guy. So you always want to see that for, you know, good people in the wrestling business to do well. He's a really good
1: guy. I, I forgive me, everyone, if I've told this story recently. But one of my friends was really sick in '89, '90, and one day he's you know up in his room being sick. You know he's bedridden, and you know his mom comes up and he's like, "Hey, someone's here to see you." And he's like, "Who?" Cactus Jack. He just showed up <laughs> at the guy's house.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool.
1: Yeah, and this is like obviously before he became a big star. I've always wanted to thank him for that, but I have not. Been around him in close to 30 years, but anyway, the next match is a throwaway match. It's PN News and Big Josh, who is Matt Bourne, over the creatures. So we're we're still doing silly Halloween China. stuff.
0: <laughs>
1: Johny Rich and Joey Mag's under mask. What were your thoughts on this match?
0: Okay, so I'm I'm glad you answered who was under the masks, and I did because I didn't know and I didn't like go look it up. I'm, I'm like trying to see. I'm like I don't know who those two are. I know who they are, but I didn't know that that was them. The first thing I noticed is Matt Bourne was pretty darn jacked. He was in good shape. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy's been hitting the gym and hitting other things probably, but he looked looked great muscular-wise. PN News got a big pop, which was, again, really surprising. A complete throwaway match, a complete waste of time. And I don't dislike either of those guys, Matt Bourne or PN News. I mean, they're fine. I mean, Matt Bourne was actually really good. I think his gimmick was terrible. And Ratmaster PN News was not going to win any awards either. But again, I'm watching it like, why is this even happening? I'm assuming they're just trying to fill time. But it's like, this is a pretty big pay-per-view. Do we really need to see the the creatures against Big Josh and PN News? I I just thought it was a a waste of time.
1: Well, a couple of things. PN News, believe it or not, everyone, was really over when they first introduced the character, I want to say, May or June 1991. And they couldn't figure out what to do with him until he just got, you know, people got tired of him just being in the mid-card. But he really was over it first. And right here from my notes, this is a pay-per-view, which in 1991, I think WCW only had four of those per year. And they are shoveling out seashow material. Like, this This mm-hmm. is a waste of valuable time, in my opinion.
0: 100%. And PN News in-ring it was actually pretty good. Like, he wasn't bad. I mean. He wasn't bad. Was not bad. He wasn't like Vader or Bam Bam Bigelow, but he was for a big guy, he could move. So, again, there's nothing wrong with any of the participants. It's just, why is this happening? This isn't really the place to showcase their talents in this setting.
1: No, WCW Worldwide was the place for this match. Now we go to Bobby Eaton versus Terry Taylor. Now, a couple of things. They're just calling Bobby Eaton Beautiful Bobby at this point. Chris, you can't call a babyface Beautiful Bobby.
0: No. No, I, I noticed that too. I'm like, can't just call him by his last name? <laughs> what are we I don't doing? know what I, that was all about. I never understood that. And that's the problem. Like when wrestling companies make decisions that we think are dumb and most of the time we're, I like to think we're right. It's like, I can't imagine why anybody would think dropping his last name was a good idea. It's like, Oh, these last two syllables, they're just too hard to deal with. Let's just <laughs> stop using them. It's, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, it, Everybody knows it's Bobby Eaton. Just call him beautiful Bobby Eaton or drop the beautiful, but don't drop his last name.
1: I know that wrestling kind of exists in its own universe, okay? Like, maybe me using an analogy that, hey, you don't have a guy in the Atlanta Braves calling himself beautiful Bobby, right? But, I mean, at the same time, you wanted to have some sort of, you know, hey, this is a sport. It's a different sport. And it's in its own universe, but you still want it to be a sport.
0: Yep, absolutely. And that's uh, It's like if you're going to present, ideally you're going to present it like it's legitimate. So you should at least, I'm not saying drop every gimmick, but don't, nobody, just like you said, I mean, nobody in the NBA was going on the court being known as, you know, I didn't introduce Michael Jordan as his heiress, He was Michael Jordan. So why would wrestling going be any different? But, you know, what do I no, know? The, what do we know, John?
1: What do we know? I mean, you're right. There's there's <laughs> Absolutely nothing wrong with having a nickname in wrestling, but just, you know, sure. I, I just never liked, you know, having, yeah, I mean, even on the show, I love Medusa Michelli, but call her Medusa Michelli. Don't just call her Medusa. I, I don't like that.
0: And the funny thing is, Michelli, that's a badass name. Medusa Michelli sounds awesome. I don't know why they stopped using it. It's like, dude, that name sounds great. Just stick with it.
1: You're right. It's her real name, but it sounds made up because it's so good. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Terry Taylor is part of a mid-card faction known as the York Foundation, where Miss Alexandra York is in charge of it. He comes to the ring for music that sounds exactly like the show, uh, the old reruns from the Dallas show. Yeah, yes, can, yes, yes, yes. Can we get a little more creative
0: than that? I mean, that that's not even
1: the 80s. That's the 70s, I think, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, late 70s, maybe. Yeah, it's horrible. The music's horrible. <laughs> well, the match was actually really good. It was an excellent yeah. match. Yes. In a way
1: though, it shows why WCW is a mess. Like those who want to see a match like Bobby Eaton versus Terry Taylor are not gonna be the ones who want to see Chamber of Horrors and vice versa.
0: Yeah, it's really I don't want to say schizophrenic because that's an overused word, but it is. It's a schizophrenic show. It's like you got this silly ridiculousness in the beginning. And then you have like a really like almost like Crockett inspired type match um, that like hardcore wrestling fans would enjoy, which I did. I thought it was great. And Terry Taylor with the or Terrence Taylor, I'm sorry, with the uh, slick back ponytail. What a scumbag look that is. He's a great <laughs> heel. I thought it was awesome. Like, man, I, I love Terry Taylor in Mid-South UWF and, and Crockett, too. But the slick back look, he looks like a real dick. I'm like, man, this is great because he probably is. It probably came pretty easy to him. The match itself was great. Really, really good.
1: I know someone who was around Terry Taylor when he was a baby face in the 1980s. And he lets you say he's got some Terry Taylor stories. Terry was a a natural heel. And you're right. The ponytail (laughs) look was great. I mean, I'm in the club that you are. I loved Terry Taylor. And I thought the wrestling business should have done more with him. But let me just rant for a second. I mean, wrestling promotions should have never tried being something for everyone. I promoted for a little while, and people would give me that advice, and I would say, no. Like, don't have midgets for the kids and then have a, a classic traditional match like this and then a comedy match or whatever chamber of horrors was supposed to be and then have a hardcore match with a lot of blood. You're just going to piss everybody off. It doesn't work, but it's what WCW was doing at this time, it was the definition of what they were doing.
0: Yep, for sure. And and it's like they couldn't get out of their own way. It's like they couldn't take a match like Chamber of Horrors, and they could have done something like that, almost like War Games type ish. But they had to go with silliness and go with electric or torture chairs. It's like there's no reason for it. And there's again, nobody's you're trying to play to too many audiences, and most audiences don't even want to see that. So they're just not they're not reading their audience that well at all.
1: Jim Cornette had what I thought was a perfect analogy. He said, "If you could go to as many Atlanta Braves games as you wanted to, how many would you go to? Well, probably a bunch. If you could see the circus every day of the week for a year, how many times would you go? Maybe once. You don't want to see the circus every night, but that's what WCW—it felt like it wanted to be." Yep, true. Good point. Well, anyway, I think Paulie Dangerously was doing it right when he proudly branded ECW by saying it's not for everyone and, and WCW wasn't for anyone, but anyone.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next we have Johnny B bad versus Jimmy Garvin. Once again, the Johnny B bad gimmick is as, I don't know, over the top as anything the WWF is doing Uh, another kind of a waste of waste of pay-per-view time, to be honest with you.
0: Yep. As Johnny B bad went on, I'm going to be the, I will tell you, I was a huge Johnny B. Bad fan, like when he became a babyface. But here, when he's kind of like in his infancy, for lack of a better term, again, way over the top. And again, I'm like, it's Jimmy Garvin, who I, I love Jimmy Garvin. Why are they wrestling? And again, maybe stuff was happening on TV leading up to this that I'm not aware of. But is this, a, again, this is again, it's a big pay-per-view and you're just going, oh, here's Jimmy Garvin against Johnny B. Bad. It's like, nah, th- who is this for?
1: It almost felt like they were killing time and they did this a couple of times.
0: And you know, I mean the the
1: WWF, it never felt like they were just killing time on their pay-per-views.
0: Right. And they would have like, like WWF would have like barbarian against Tito Santana. And maybe that's the, we'll we'll say that's the equivalent of Johnny B bad against Jimmy Garvin, but it didn't feel like it was a throwaway match. And maybe it's just because of the overall presentation of WWF was so much better. I think that's a big, I think that's the biggest problem. It's not the wrestlers. I can't state this enough, except for a couple exceptions. It's not the wrestlers, because they're fine, but the way they're presented and the way the company is presented, that's what ends up hurting them in the end. It's not the wrestlers themselves, because they're doing whatever they're supposed to be doing, but the company itself is presenting them badly or presenting the whole wrestling company badly.
1: I couldn't agree more. And you notice that two years later, Who's in the main event at the Survivor Series? Uh, Guys who were on the show, the Steiners, Lex Luger, and the Undertaker. Undertaker was gone by this point, but he was there like six months earlier. So it's definitely not the wrestlers.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: All right. Next, we have Dustin Rhodes against Steve Austin. This was a good match that went to a 15-minute draw. I saw something in Steve Austin early in his career. We're talking when he was in world class in 1989, when they brought him in early 1991, there were people who were saying, oh, he's not ready for this kind of push. And it's like, look, if you don't give him a push, he's going to the WWF and you're not getting him. Yeah.
0: I wasn't watching world class in like 89, 90. And I think it's just because I was just busy with school or whatever, but I would read about him and like pro wrestling illustrated and stuff. I'm like, oh, this guy should be fine. When he came to WCW, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy's really good. Like he's for a young guy that's just starting out. And I was like telling people at that time, I'm like, this guy's going to be the next Ric Flair. And I think I was just basing that on the fact that he wore robes and had long blonde hair because he didn't wrestle anything like Ric Flair. But I knew that I'm like, this guy's going to be something. I never realized that he was going to be what he ended up being. But Steve Austin was stunning. Steve and Hollywood blonde. Steve was, he is really, really good. He was one of the bright spots of WCW. And I agree, the match was very good.
1: And to this day, I'm embarrassed, because by 94, 95, I was like, wow, I I was wrong about Steve Austin. He's not that good. And I am someone who should know better. Like, if you bury the talent, the talent is not going to be able to shine. There's an old expression out there. The cream always rises to the top. No, it doesn't. If you put the cream in a, a gym bag and weigh it down and, and throw it in the lake, the cream's not rising
0: to the top. No, probably not. <laughs> not and that's what they did with Steve Austin. Way. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I agree. Once he, once he lost to, like, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, uh, that was the end of him in 94, I think. And that was what was frustrating. It's like, he's still good. Like, it's one thing if he wasn't performing. Steve Austin in 94, coming off the, I'm sorry to rant here, coming off the Ricky Steamboat feud, steve austin was friggin' awesome so there's no reason he should have been like jobbed out like that
1: yeah and when he went to i mean it it, yeah it it was the reason was he wasn't friends with the right guys but when he Mm -hmm. went to ecw immediately i was like oh man you tricked yourself into thinking he wasn't something special because he was and i mean he i think he's the biggest pro wrestler of all time i think he was even bigger in his prime than Hogan was in his prime. What do you think about that, Chris?
0: I think so. 1000% when I was, uh, so this is ninety seven, ninety eight, And I was like in my early to mid twenties and, um, everybody, I not everybody I knew, but a lot of people I saw just walking down the street or at the mall or at the store, Austin three 16 shirts everywhere. Like he everywhere. was over. It was ridiculous. It was great. Cause I love, you know, people watching lots of people like watching wrestling, but yeah, Steve Austin was, Uh, He was so, I can't state it up. He was really, really good. Almost from the get-go. Always very talented.
1: Yeah. Even when he, you know, was first out of Chris Adams wrestling school in in 1989. I, I mean, he was really good. And people say, oh, Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Okay. Steve Austin was on the cover of everything. You walked into a magazine stand in eight uh, 98 or 99. And all you see is Steve Austin. He was on the cover of TV guide. He was on the cover of Rolling Stone. He was huge.
0: Yeah. he And, and doing TV and movies like he there, you can't underestimate how big Steve Austin was. He was huge. Even my mom likes Steve Austin. She only like wrestling, but she likes Steve Austin. So that that's the <laughs> measuring stick. My mother likes him that he must be good. All right. And you know what? Dustin
1: Rhodes definitely held up his end in this match. Uh, at this point, I was very resentful of Dustin because, you know, Dusty pushed him down our throats, which he did. But, you know, that that's not Dustin's fault. And he wrestled a really good match on this
0: night. Yeah, I agree. And I think that did they have like a feud after this, too? Because just watching them work together, I'm like, shit, this would be like a really this should have been a really big rivalry, I think, because they worked well together. And Dustin was over. And obviously, Steve Austin was over. I did they continue or it was just like a one and done. And that's it.
1: If I recall correctly, this was a one and done, but I will be honest with you. My following me following WCW was nowhere near what it was just a couple of years ago. I mean, they had kind of run me off by this point. I I, I still watched it, obviously, but like I was nowhere near as fanatical as I was, you know, just two years ago.
0: I'll have to do some research because they, like I said, they worked really well together and they were, I don't know if they're the same age, I I think they're close in age and you know. the body types weren't similar, but they they matched up well. I, they, there's no reason they couldn't have had like a long drawn out feud or rivalry or whatever. I thought they were they was a good match. It, it was a good match. And so we're, right now, the card,
1: we've had a couple of bad matches, but, you know, a couple of really good ones. And now we have Oz Kevin Nash against <laughs> Bill Kazmaier. And I remember watching The Clash of the Champions before this, and Bill Kazmaier was in the audience, and, oh, little Bill Kazmaier, the strongest man in the world. And I was like, oh, my God, please don't tell me they're bringing in (laughs) Bill friggin' Quagmire,
0: but here we are. Uh, Yeah, so I'm the the big Kevin Nash apologist on Facebook and other forms of media. How could they take this guy – even at that time, I recognized he probably wasn't like the most polished wrestler. But to saddle him with that character was just death before they even started. It was so bad, so dumb. And then to pair him off with Bill Kazmaier, who is far from a polished wrestler, it's like what do you what do you think's going to happen in this match? It's going to it's not going to be very good, first of all. And again, Halloween Havoc, big pay per view, and it's Bill Kazmaier against. Oz, which should be maybe on a Clash of the Champions.
1: There is a Bill Kazmeier story, which I will share with you. Back in the day, he was wrestling in Calgary with Brian Pillman. And back then, they would all get on a a big old rickety school bus and head to the shows and then head back. And, you know, it's wrestlers. And he and Pillman start having words about something. And they agreed to fight once they got to their destination, right? Well, the Calgary guys were all I mean, it, it was a territory notorious for ribbing and the Calgary guys all are like, uh, oh, yeah, Brian Pillman took on those five bikers and he beat the crap out of all of them. Oh, yeah. Remember when he was in New York, he beat up Lawrence Taylor. So they finally <laughs> get to wherever their their, their destination was. And Bill Kazmaier jumps off the bus and runs for for his life because he didn't (laughs) want to fight Brian Pillman. And and let me tell you something: if Kazmaier ever fought Brian Pillman, it would not have ended well for Bill Quagmire. Put it that way. As you can tell, listeners, he is one of my least favorite wrestlers of all time. (laughs) He is one of the least athletic wrestlers I've ever seen. I mean, he barely did anything in this quick match, and he's already you know. Sucking in wind, breathing as hard as a person can.
0: Yeah, and having him come to the ring carrying that inflatable globe, it's like, well, that doesn't make oh. him look strong. He's carrying a balloon. Like, why Why is he doing that? <laughs> and, you know, I, mean, I, I could carry a balloon. He was like Ted r c d but worse, which is not good, because Ted r c d was not exactly Luthes either. It was awful. And then the one thing that stood out He wins with the torture rack. I'm like, you know, your world champion does this for a finish. Why is he doing, he couldn't have done a bear hug or something. And that's, again, that's not his fault. That's somebody should have said like, Hey, uh, for a finish, don't use Lex Luger's move, you know? And again, and I'm nitpicking there. I mean, whatever, I mean, who cares about, but uh, you know, I mean, Bill Kazmaier against Oz, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, who cares? But at the same time, it's like, you know, somebody should be really like, kind of like fact-checking this stuff instead of just letting these guys go do what they want, clearly. because that wouldn't have happened if somebody was actually paying attention.
1: You're right. And it's not in my notes, but I groaned for the second time when I saw Bill Kazmaier coming to the ring with that giant balloon, it was like, who came up with this? That's awful.
0: Yeah, that's so bad. And it's like, again, it's not even, it's not good on paper and it's not good in execution. I mean, who thought that was remotely close to a good idea? I it's just, I think Dusty was booking, but I—you can't put all the blame on him because Jim Hurd has final say. I would imagine. So. Oh no, this wasn't he, all Dusty. Oh, uh, so maybe Jim Hurd was like, "Yeah, I like globes. Why don't you carry it?" I, who knows? It's just—it <laughs> you know—it it doesn't prove that he's strong. I mean, any whatever. I we can talk about that for like an hour about dumb that, and it looks dumb too. So it doesn't serve any purpose.
1: Dusty was the booker, but he was not the executive producer. That was largely Jim Hurd and. Jim Hurd had a reputation of listening to the last person, you know, taking the advice of the last person he talked to every single time. And, you know, he was utilizing other people in TBS. For example, uh, the Oz gimmick was used because they had the film rights to the movie The Wizard of Oz. So, oh, let's call this guy Oz. This is how out of control we are. But yeah, you can't. that, That wasn't Dusty's deal. It had nothing to do with him. Right. All right. Next up, we have a preview of Starcade 91. And I'm like, oh, this should be interesting. And they reveal that Starcade, their biggest show of the year, or at least their second biggest, is going to be a lethal lottery where you pick two names of a wrestler out of a hat and they're a tag team. And then you pick two more names out and they're another tag team. I I don't know what to say here. I wouldn't even do that. On the Clash of the Champions. I mean, I had no interest in something like that. And obviously it's not like, you know, we have great bookers who could come up with excellent stories. I was blown away by, you know, this is gonna be Starcade. Ugh.
0: I am in the minority. I actually like Battle Bowl. I and I believe me, I recognize it's me and maybe two other people. So it is it, it is a dumb idea. And it's it's especially dumb to put it. On Starcade, like even when I was, like I was, whatever, 17 at the time, even then I'm like, why is this on Starcade? Why isn't the world title being defended? Why are they doing gimmick tag team matches and then a double battle royal? It's Starcade, for God's sake. Cause at the time, I still looked at Starcade like, hey, this is a big deal. But instead, it's just, you know, another whatever, whoever came up with it. It's like, if huh? you were to do this, do it on, like you said, well, I wouldn't do it on a clash, but maybe do it on a clash or whatever, but not on Starcade.
1: No, I'm I'm with you. I, I like contrary opinions, you know, and I'm I'm glad you liked it. I mean I liked Starcade eighty nines and I'm like one of like three people who liked
0: it. You are yeah, you were one of three people, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> me, me and the two guys who came up with it. Anyway. There you go. Now we we dip back into silliness. Van Hammer versus Doug Summers. Van Hammer was a heavy metal gimmick. He was like Sammy Hagar on steroids. During his entrance, we have two guys with jackhammers in the background breaking rocks for no apparent reason. I mean, this entrance was nothing short of embarrassing. Van Hammer is doing air guitar and he's getting no reaction. And then he takes his shirt off and he gets a little bit of a pop because obviously, you know, he's he's working out at the gym hard. It was awful. And these people don't even realize that, you know, this is October 1991. Metal was out. Sorry, Metalheads. It was out. And that look he had was totally out.
0: So, but my brother and I actually, went, he's kind of a lapsed fan. We watched it today. We saw that match. And he's like, why are they using jackhammers? I'm like, dude, I don't fuck. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't <laughs> know. So, sorry. I, mean, I don't know. I assume cause it's heavy metal. I don't know. Uh, I, and we, hit, even as a kid, like I'm, and even to this day, like I'm kind of, I accept a lot of stupid crap from pro wrestling. So if they want to push, like at the time, if they said Van Hammer's a good guy, I'm like, okay, I'll cheer for him. Like, I just, I just, whatever they give me, I'm like, fine, that's fine. But even Van Hammer, I'm like, dude, this guy's terrible. And then he's wrestling Doug Summers, who I loved with Buddy Rose. So I didn't even realize Doug Summers was wrestling today so, or today when I watched it today. So I'm like, holy crap, it's Doug Summers. I'm like, okay, well, this will be passable, I guess. And it was; it looked like their first day of wrestling school. I'm like, what? What is happening here? Why is Why is this match happening? And where did they Where did they dig up Doug Summers? He was probably like 40 at the time, and he looked like he was like 60. Yeah,
1: Doug Summers, I think, had been largely out of the business by this point. I'm guessing he lived somewhere close to Chattanooga, and that's why they used him. Uh, I mean, he, he, what can I say? He looked like a washed up pro wrestler and you're right. He was really good in his day. I also loved the tag team with buddy Rose, but this match, I mean, the van hammer missed so many moves and, yeah. and he used a superplex as a finish and he almost killed Doug Summers. summer's landed right on his head. It was ridiculous. Dude,
0: seriously. I saw that. I'm like, they showed it again in the replay. I'm like, why are you showing this again? This is like, Attempted murder. I'm like, what is going on here? This guy almost <laughs> died in the ring, I, and I was depressed—not depressed, but I'm like, yo, Doug Summers was good. Why right? they, with all the enhancement talent they could have had at their disposal, if they were so hell bent on putting out Van Hammer, they could have just had him beat some jobber. No offense to jobbers, but some jobber, and just let Doug Summers stay home, or just pay him to stay home because he doesn't need to be in the ring now, especially now with a guy that's as untrained as Van Hammer.
1: No, I first of all, I take no offense to the word jobber. I mean, you're a guy who's doing the job. Sorry. um, It's, it's not right. meant as an offensive term. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Everything you said, I personally knew guys from around here, from around the Boston area who were good and literally would have driven to Chattanooga to be on this show. And I don't know why they would have, you know, they didn't use one of those guys as opposed to, you know, an older Unimpressive-looking Doug Summers. It was it was not a good look. For sure. Agreed. 100%. Next match. Here we go. Brian Pillman versus Ricky Morton. Now, this should be a good match, except it totally wasn't. I don't know what these guys were doing. I don't know if if someone was hurt. I know Brian Pillman was just getting back into wrestling, but he could still go. Uh, he was out for a while with, with an injury, uh, a shoulder injury, injury of some kind. But this match was was incredibly disappointing, and it's the second bad pay per view match
0: Ricky Morton has had in a row. Yeah, it's funny you say that because like I, I when I see these guys matched up together, I'm like, holy crap, this will be good. And it's just it's like they I don't want to say they couldn't get out of first gear because I don't know if that was necessarily the case, but it just didn't work, and I don't know why because it's not like either guy is average. I mean, they're both like very good to great wrestlers. So like you I was kind of disappointed because I'm waiting for this to be like not a classic, but certainly on par with Dustin and Steve Austin. I thought like, okay, well at least we'll get three solid matches for sure. But it just didn't work for me at all.
1: It did not gel. And another thing, this match was for the light heavyweight championship. We're having our first light heavyweight champion and to me, I'm like, way to kill Brian Pillman because that sure. just does not get over in the United States. I know some of you know, I like the classic cruiserweights from WCW uh, in the late 90s. Don't get me wrong. I like the guys from Mexico. I like the junior heavyweights from Japan. It just doesn't get over here. I mean, when we had the cruiserweights in WCW, please note they were nowhere near the main event. And by casting Pillman, who was so pushable as a light heavyweight, you're really hurting him.
0: Yeah, and it's almost like now you're kind of tight cast, which is a shame because, I mean, realistically, Brian Pillman should have been maybe not necessarily world champion, although I would have been fine with that too, but he certainly should have been figured in as a top guy or near the top for sure, as opposed to just being uh, a cruiserweight or stuck, for lack of a better term, in that division.
1: I was always a huge Brian Pillman fan. I remember coming into Halloween Havoc with his match against Lex Luger and really looking forward to it. Okay, this is going to be the four-star match of the night. That didn't happen, and right after that, it was almost like they stopped pushing him. They put him in a tag team with Tom Zank and nothing against Zank, but like Pillman, I agree, he should have been a top guy, and if I were booking this in 89, 90, 91... I would be asking myself, okay, how do I get Brian Pillman over enough to be world's heavyweight champion? Because he's a good-looking guy, great body, excellent wrestler. He's a little bit short, but I can make that work to his advantage because he's the underdog.
0: Right, and that's the funny thing is that, like, from what I understand from all accounts, Flair was a big backer of him, so sometimes it it doesn't necessarily help to have somebody in your corner because flair i mean who's bigger than flair in wcw maybe not at that time because he was gone but prior to that i mean if flair's pushing for him why would he not be featured more prominently because brian pillman we all our friends we thought brian pillman was friggin awesome we love brian pillman
1: same here and yeah flair when he was booking went out of his way this was in 1989 to make sure that brian pillman was on camera with Ric Flair and sting as often as possible. So that Pillman would get that rub. One thing about Pillman though, like I get on Tom Zenk's case for being like way too much of a candy ass baby face. But Brian Pillman at this point was either falling into that trap or being pushed into it. Too many wrestlers around this time, the babyfaces would be smiling and, and, high-fiving fans on the way to the ring. And if they all do it, it doesn't mean anything. And Pillman should yeah. not have been doing it. We need an intense baby face, Brian Pillman.
0: Yeah, for sure. And especially like with his, uh, you know, football background, like he could have been just kind of like, because he was a smaller guy, but he, he was certainly cut up and he was built. He could have been not, not necessarily an ass kicking babyface, but he could have been, you know, kind of a hard ass. I mean, he was tough. I mean, it was not like he wasn't, couldn't handle himself.
1: Oh, Matt, I, oh, to say the very least, I mean, Magnum T.A. didn't do that on his way to the ring, and I, I think I would have been trying to push Brian Pillman as maybe the next Magnum T.A., I don't know, but yeah, football background, Chris, the match hasn't even started, and Jim Ross has told us that Brian Pillman was a walk-on football player at, at Miami of Ohio twice, two separate times before they even lock up.
0: He reminds us of that. You know, Jim Ross— is one of my favorite commentators of all time. But he he should have just been a football announcer because he is just, all he ever did, he'd talk about Ron Simmons being from Florida State. Uh, what's his name? Brian Pillman being on the Bengals or wherever he played. I don't follow football, I'm sorry. But, but always touting their old football background. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Jim, you want just, to just go to the NFL? What are you doing here?
1: I mean, I would record all of the NWA shows every weekend. And if Ron Simmons, so, you know, we've got like, four or five different programs. I don't know, more, maybe more like three or four. And if Ron Simmons wrestled three times on TV that weekend, I got to hear about his Florida State background <laughs> three times every single weekend. It was nuts.
0: Uh, oh, God. We But we loved it. We thought it was like my friends and I would watch it. We would be like just waiting for him to say it. It was like uh, if we did it like as a drinking game, we'd all be alcoholics. But it was still, <laughs> you know, it, it was, I mean, it's like whatever. And again, I'm not a sports fan at all, but except for basketball kind of. But when they bring up their athletic background, it feels like to me, it almost gave it like a little bit more legitimacy. So I didn't I didn't hate it. I would just kind of like chuckle at it all the time, especially from Jim Ross. He was famous for it.
1: Oh, I I loved Jim Ross at this point. But I mean, you want to bring it up. You just don't want to bring it up. Oh, I don't know. Twice before the guy's even (laughs) locked
0: up up yet. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Uh, Ricky Morton. I looked it up. He's 35 years old here. He felt a lot older. It felt like Ricky Morton was a a relic from a different time. And that pineapple hair was so out by 1991. Why did no one tell Ricky Morton this?
0: Well, I think he pretty much has that same hairdo now. He does. So I don't, I I think either people have told him and he's like, I don't really care. Or they just don't want to tell him and like hurt his feelings. And I think had they told him, he probably would have just kept it the same way anyways.
1: Billy Idol has the same hair he had in the 90s, but he's Billy Idol and he's still performing. I mean, you know, Ricky Morton, he's got the the York Foundation gimmick and he he just needed to get rid of that look. But at the end of the day, he won because he had a lot of pro wrestling left in him. One of the best surprises out there was Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson getting back together as the Rock and Roll Express in, in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And they are Smoky Mountains' top act. So, I mean, good for them. They won in the end.
0: Yeah, that, and that, that territory is, like, tailor-made for, for those guys. And you have Cornet there, too, and a Cornet managed team. I mean, you're not going to go wrong with that at all.
1: No, definitely. And it, it was Knoxville. I mean, you know, the old joke was, you know, you're – you're on a plane, you're landing in Knoxville and they tell you to set your watch back 15 years. And I've been there and I know it was a a little bit behind the times in the nineties. No offense to anyone in Knoxville. I'm a huge Tennessee volunteers fan. Anyway, I mean, this was supposed to be a high flying match that set the tone for this new light heavyweight championship. And it just didn't happen. It felt like another dull, I don't know, underneath match, very disappointing match. From two elite talent, and yeah you know not good
0: no i and unfortunately, I have nothing to add to that it's just it's one of those matches where it's like you're you kind of build yourself up and you're like, oh, this good this match is gonna kick ass, and it was just average at best, and it's just it I don't want to say it takes the wind out of yourselves, but it does it's like, oh, I thought this was going to be better than it actually was
1: no it it sounded good, but it went too long, and they they really didn't do anything. I don't know what happened. Now, we have the Halloween Phantom versus Tom Zank. I knew it was going to be Rick Rude coming in, and to me, this was the wrong way to introduce Rick Rude. Uh, You Don't just say, oh, we're having the Halloween Phantom. You want to say, okay, WCW has signed a major former WWF superstar, and he's going to debut at this pay-per-view, you know, purchase it to see who it is. Um, And if you don't want to say WWF, which I would, just say, okay, we have a major international superstar debuting. It's someone who every wrestling fan knows who it is. What are your thoughts, Chris?
0: I think that so they have him come out as the masked Halloween phantom, and then he just unmasks later in the night anyway. It's like, just like you said, it's like, why couldn't you just say Rick Rude was going to be there? Or or you could say, hey, we're going to have a surprise person from WWF or a surprise international superstar that everybody knows. Well, if you're going to unmask him that same night, anyways, just skip the mask crap and just say, Here's Rick Rude. It would have been better if more than any, if anything, you know, and I didn't like it, you know, and maybe I, my last name starts with a Z. I don't like seeing the Z man get jobbed out like that so fast, but that's just, that's just like a personal quirk of my, but I mean, it's Rick Rude for God's sake. I mean, if, he should be, you know, pretty dominant in his debut match for the company.
1: No, I agree with you. And, you know, I mean, speaking of candy ass baby faces, here comes Tom Zank again. <laughs> you know, laughing at the camera and and coming out with this weird green neon day stuff. He was the worst baby (laughs) face ever. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) I think myself and like Tom Zink's grandma are Tom Zink's only fans.
1: (laughs) I could have been a Tom Zink fan. I, I, like I said, I, I would have made him a money, I would have turned him into a money-making heel. But anyway, I, I said that last week. I'm, One thing, too, Tom Zank, in some markets, he was having world championship matches against Lex Luger. And you're right. You can't just go out and bury him in, like, 90 seconds like they did if you're having him, you know, challenging for the title. But, you know, it's WCW, 1991.
0: What can I say? And, again, it's like there's not any other guys you have back there that you can say, hey, can you go out there and lose in 30 seconds to Rick Rude? I mean— just like you said, if they're presenting Tom Zink as somewhat kind of a threat to Luger's title, because if they're, if they're letting him challenge for the belt, then they're presenting him as somewhat of a threat. You can't have him just get beaten. Literally, I think it's actually like a minute and a half to Rick Roode. It's like, well, OK. But just like you said, it's WCW. Yeah, I mean,
1: Rude needed a different opponent, and they could have had the opponent say, yeah, I know who it's going to be. I can't tell anybody, but I'm going to be ready for him and then have him go out and get squashed in 90 seconds. Uh, Sure. I knew it was going to be Rick Rude coming in. I mean, I was, you know, a newsletter guy, and pretty much everyone in that crowd knew it was going to be Rick Rude. And I was crazy enough, Chris, to think that for WCW, Losing Ric Flair, but getting Rick Rude was a good trade. And I, I know 30 years later I'm like, okay, you're an idiot for thinking that. Nothing against Rude, <laughs> but my my take was that Rick Flair had been on WTBS for at least 10 years. He had been world heavyweight champion for almost 10 years now. He had done everything he could do. And Rick Rude was a fresh new face. And I was obviously wrong, but that's how I don't know if the word excited works, but how happy I was that WCW was getting Rick road.
0: I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think you are necessarily wrong because had let's just say Flair state and I love Rick flair. So this is not a knock on Flair. Let's say Flair state. They would have rolled out the horseman five or six more times or whatever they were going to do. At least when through coming in. You got to see him with Paulie. So that's like a new dynamic. Then they put together, you would never want to see the Dangerous Alliance. And they were awesome. 1992 Dangerous Alliance was phenomenal. Like, everybody in that faction was very good to, like, legendary. So I don't think it was a bad trade. I mean, maybe, you know, know, looking back on history, you know, Flair obviously is a much bigger star than Rick Rude. But as far as, like, having, like, compelling, like, WCW television, I don't think it was a bad trade at all at that time.
1: No, I I agree with you. The dangerous alliance was awesome. Medusa was awesome, and they would have never had that with Ric Flair standing in the way. And like I said, you know, right. they, they're, they're, what could you do with Ric Flair at that point? You know, except for the obvious logical thing, which was to turn him babyface and keep him that way because everyone loved Ric Flair.
0: And, and that was the thing. It's like when they turned him heel like in '90. I'm like, you know, people are still behind him. They want him to be. A good guy or a baby face, whatever. Why are you turning him? And I'm sure he probably wanted to do it. He wanted to do it. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like somebody could say to Flair, "No, we're going to go with this because you're still really, really, really popular. So we'll turn you some other time."
1: That would have been me, and I would, if I were in charge, I would have been like Rick. You're 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 never going to be a heel again. Live with that because too many people like you and. You know, With Rick, it could be a little bit of an ego thing. Like, he wanted to turn heel because he felt that would be the thing to get Sting over as the company's Hulk Hogan. I mean, which is nice of him, but at the same time, it's like, don't make him Hulk Hogan that way.
0: Yep, absolutely. And I, and then, you know, egotistically speaking, Flair may be like, listen, I could make anybody, and I'm going to make Sting, I'm going to make Luger, and he could. He absolutely could. So maybe this is just a case of being like, listen, Sting's going to be our top guy, and I'm going to show you why I can make him our top guy.
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, Ric Flair, I give him a lot of credit for turning Sting from a mid-card guy coming into his feud with Flair in early 1998, 1988 into a future superstar. I mean, that, that Clash yep. of the Champions match was over the top.
0: That's one of my favorite uh, super cards, for lack of a better term. Of all time. Because I mean, Flair, I give him 199% of the credit of putting Sting on the map. I give Sting 1%. Um, and I, I love I'm, Sting too, but Flair made him. Flair made him big time. I
1: am more like 75, 25, but I'm in your corner. I mean, Ric Flair went on national TV and got an unknown over. And that, you know what? More on the Dangerous Alliance in a moment. The second-to-last match on the show, and this goes back to the first match, like, okay, with all of those guys in that one match, you've really thinned the herd, because it is Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco defending the WCW Tag Team Championships against, wait for it, Firebreaker Chip and Todd Champion. Ugh! Yeah. And Chris, wh- wh- will you hear this? The Special Forces were originally supposed to be like the horsemen, but a babyface faction. They were going to bring in like a football coach of some kind and a sanitation worker, and these were going <laughs> to be like the the babyface, you know, four top of the top babyfaces. I can't make this stuff up.
0: Yeah, it's horrendous. It's an abomination, and I don't understand. Todd Champion and Curtis Thompson, whatever, ship. I think that's his name. Um, it was in the ring they're fine but they're not bad they're they're, you know they're passable for that time but again they just ww just they either overthink things or they think that their ideas are good or they just again they can't get out of their own way they saddle them with just awful gimmicks i mean there's nothing wrong with being a firefighter i mean firefighters i mean they're real life heroes right but i don't want to watch a firefighter wrestle (laughs) why would (laughs) i want to see that you know it's just why couldn't they just be Curtis Thompson and Todd champion? I mean, they're both, I do. They're both jacked. It's not like they're not in good shape. Like they look great. And, you know, again, in the ring, they were fine for what they were at that time. There's no reason they have to be like, oh, you're a fireman and you're a super patriot or whatever Todd champion was supposed to be. Again, another Arn and Larry Zabisco, very underrated tag team. I think they're great. Not as good as Arn and Bobby, but Arn and Larry were really good too. Why is this match happening? What, <laughs> what is this doing? This is, a, this is Clash of the Champions, maybe. This is not Halloween Havoc level, in my opinion.
1: In my opinion, once again, this is NWA Pro or you know, worldwide wrestling. This does not belong yeah. anywhere near a pay-per-view. And just to answer your question a little bit, sometime in 1990, Jim Hurd decided that WCW had to be like WWF, where everyone had a gimmick. and. I remember, I think it was 91 when Tito Santana became the matador and that was it. Everyone in the WWF had, you know, some sort of a weird gimmick and names that didn't sound like real names or just, you know, he's just the matador. Now, Barry Windham is just the uh, widow maker. Now, Kerry Von Erich yeah. is the Texas tornado, and he decided to go in that direction. And to me. If you're WCW, you want to be different than the WWF. You want to do the same thing they're doing. You're not going to out WWF the WWF.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like anybody that is like of marginal intelligence knows that. But yet they, the people that were paid to make these decisions went the other way. It's like, I don't go to, I I, I can't even think of a good example. Maybe like fat food. Like McDonald's tastes like McDonald's. McDonald's doesn't try to taste like bird. Or vice versa, that's probably a better example. They try to do their own thing. So why would WCW or Turner Broadcasting think, like, you know, we should copy them because that's what our fans want. If that's what the fans wanted, they'll just watch WWF. They're not going to watch your version of WWF because it's awful, clearly.
1: Well put. Very well put. And I know. I mean, I watched this pay-per-view over like four or five segments. I didn't want to get sick of it, and yeah, but too. this match, <laughs> I mean, I, what can I say? I, I it, it wasn't. I can imagine how I felt like how I felt watching it live because I really had nothing to say. It was just a bad match with no heat.
0: It it was, it was bad. Again, the four guys in the ring—they're all capable. Obviously, Art and Larry Z are phenomenal, but there's just nothing happening. Just a match, you just wait. You're waiting for it to end. And that's all I was doing the whole time. I'm like, all right, can we get a spine buster and move on? Because I'm done. <laughs> all right. Next up, probably
1: the best part of the show, Paulie Dangerously comes out with Medusa, and he announces that he has been fired from the WCW broadcasting team. However, these people forgot that he has a manager's license. And with that, the Rick Rude comes out under the mask, takes the mask off, and we have Rude, Medusa, and Paulie, And this just looks like one badass heel fat.
0: For sure. And Paul Lee was showing even back then, 30 years ago. And prior to that, he's always been great on the mic. Like, you see it now. He's still phenomenal. But he's always been really good. A great, great heel manager. Rick Rude, obviously, he's Rick Rude, for God's sake. He's great. And Medusa Michelli just added to it. She was just kind of like. Like, she didn't say anything, but just that the look of those three together was just perfect. It was great.
1: I uh, 100% agree. Like I said, I I saw this, and I I suddenly became excited about WCW's future because we had something really good cooking here. Anyone who knows me knows that I think Paulie Dangerously is one of the greatest managers of all time. He is now fresh and new in that role because he hadn't managed for, I want to say about six months, but here's the thing. This kind of reestablished Sting as the number one guy in the company. Rick Rude comes out. He announces he's going after sting. And to me, I get it that sting was champion earlier in the year. Luger is now champion. He just won the belt, but I'm thinking you kind of have to put the belt on sting here and have the Rick Rude versus
0: sting feud. Put the world title on Sting and then have Flair, you mean Rude and Sting feud over the world title? Yes. Yeah, that would have been a little more impactful than feuding over the U.S. title. Like, it was still a kick-ass feud. But, yeah, for the world title, it would have been a lot more meaningful. I agree.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, like I said, you know, Rude coming in, this superstar from the WWF, and declaring war on Sting. And Paulie made it interesting. He's like, you know what? I brought this guy in. And I'm taking out sting and this is how I'm going to bankrupt this company. This is how I'm going to get back at them. Paulie was
0: amazing. He still is. Yeah, he still is. And he he was great back then too. It's like those of us that have been watching him for the past 35 years or whatever, we've known all along. I mean, he's always been really, really, really good.
1: He was great when he first started out. I, I didn't see him in Florida when he first started out. I first saw him in Memphis in 1987 and i was like this guy is already one of the best managers in the business and he got better as time went on
0: yeah and i think he continues to get better even today i'm like my god this guy is like he's a chameleon you can't stop this guy he's fantastic
1: i i agree and he is in the absolutely in the conversation for best wrestling manager of all time now we get to the main event Lex Luger against Ron Simmons. Now, we talked about, you know, Jim Ross going over the top uh, with the Ron Simmons love, but they had a video before this match that was absolutely phenomenal. It 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 showed Ron Simmons working out at Doe Campbell Stadium, which is where Florida State plays football. It shows his retired jersey. It shows his retired locker in the locker room. He has an actual retired locker, and it just made it feel like Ron Simmons was big
0: time. Yeah, that segment was done really well, and again, it, it kind of gives it almost like a, a, for lack of a better term, like a big fight feel. It's like this guy training for the biggest match of his career, and he's going back to his roots to like you know meet up with his you know football, his college coach or whatever. Uh, and I at that time I loved Ron Simmons; like he was one of my favorites. So this was awesome. I thought it was a really well. Lo- I thought it was done really well.
1: I I agree, and wow, WCW did something really good. And like you said, to give it a big fight feel. My take on part of this match it was two out of three falls that should have been long gone by 1991 because we all know the first two falls do not matter
0: yes 100 percent agreed all right
1: now one thing i'd forgotten about is dusty Rhodes came out with ron simmons i'd completely forgotten about it and when he came out with simmons i was like god damn this guy's in his ego i mean when Dusty agreed to leave the WWF and come back to WCW, it was emphasized that he would not wrestle. He would be the Booker only. That was part of the agreement. And I figured out right away, and he did it, that Dusty would figure out multiple ways to get around that and put himself in the spotlight, which, once again, he did on this evening.
0: Yeah, and it's like, why is he there? And again, maybe leading up to the show, he may have been like, kind of like, mentoring Ron Simmons, but it's like, well, why can't, if they're going to have somebody seconding Ron Simmons, why wouldn't they have coach Bowden, right? Is that his name? I'm Bobby Bowden. Yeah. Sport. Okay. I, I'm sure he may have done it. I mean, he participated in the uh, vignette. He may have done that too. Uh, why is Dusty out there? And if Dusty is going to be out there, I would think that would mean that Ron Simmons is going to win, but evidently I was um, spoiler alert. He doesn't. So apparently, I was wrong. You know, and and
1: like I said, I mean, I I forgot about it. I saw it for the first time a few days ago, and I was like, oh my God, Dusty, get get off TV. I mean, he would do commentary. He would get involved in Dustin's angles.
0: Dustin's stuff. Yep, for sure. Yep. It's like that, and I loved Dusty Rose as a kid. But even then, I'm like, what are, you, are you, what are you doing? Are you wrestling? Are you, what are you doing here? You know what I mean? It's like we, don't, you've done enough. You don't need to be around anymore. You know what <laughs> no, mean? Like, I mean, go, I don't know. I understand what you're
1: saying. I agree. He, he would tell you that he was he was be trying to give Ron Simmons the rub. But in reality, he was just, you know, uh, attracting attention to himself. And then as the match goes on, I'll give him credit. Dusty being in Ron Simmons corner made the match better at the end of the day. Yes. But like like I said, I just Great. wanted to share my reaction when, when Dusty was coming out with Simmons. And When I saw them at first, I'm like is that Teddy long? I'm like, no, it's dusty roads. Oh my God. We can't can't
0: lose this guy. No, he won't go away. And the first thing I noticed about the Mac, so Ron Simmons comes out, they play his old doom entrance music, which I loved. I'm like, Oh, this is great. And then Luger comes out with Harley and Mr. Hughes and they have Lex Luger's greatest theme song of all time. I don't know what it's called, but it's the one that's in the movie creep show too, um, with just the guitar and the drums or whatever. I'm a huge Luger fan. Like, I'm an unapologetic Lex Luger fan, especially from, like, 87 to, like, 92 or whatever. 88 to 92. Seeing him and Harley and Mr. Hughes together, they look really cool together. Even though Mr. Hughes is far from my favorite wrestling anything, the three of them together look pretty awesome. It's a shame that by the time they finally went with Lex as world champion, at that point, I felt it was too little too late. They should have done it two or three years before.
1: I am in complete agreement. Uh, by this point, Lex Luger was stale. He had been in the company for four and a half years, and they turned him five times. I mean, that that's impossible, but it happened. And I, like you, am a Lex Luger fan. And, you know, it, it's not a question of Lex Luger not being talented. It's a question of they, they use this guy really poorly. And, by the way, they had big plans for Mr. Hughes he was going to get a huge push this is the equivalent of Virgil being with Ted DiBiase having Curtis Hughes be with Lex Luger and Harley race and it just never came together
0: yeah he was very lucky to be out there if they had just let him stand out there with sunglasses and that cool suit with the hat and just done nothing else just the look of them together was great once he got in the ring and did stuff that's a whole other matter entirely but the three of them together I thought were good
1: and Luger and Simmons had a really good match on this night. I mean, it was it was an excellent match by anyone's standards. I mean, you, you know, Luger, you know, like I said, I, I say he was stale. And, you know, he may not have had what Flair had, what Sting had. But this was a really good match.
0: What, what were your thoughts on this match, Chris? So I went into it thinking this ain't going to be very good. And it's not a knock on either of those guys because I love both guys. But I'm thinking, like, I'm so used to seeing Luger basically get, I don't want to say get carried by Flair, but maybe get led by Ric Flair or Ricky Steamboat, guys like that. And I felt like this was a chance for Lex to be, like, in the driver's seat as the the heel champion. So I didn't have a lot of hope. And not against him. It's just he had not done it for very long. Uh, I was very pleasantly surprised. This match was really good. My God. like I'm like, Jesus Christ, this match is awesome. Holy crap. And I was not expecting that. Ron Simmons more than held up his end. I mean, he is, Ron Simmons is badass. And, and and Luger was good too. It's a shame that he left like a few months later because I was thinking like, man, Luger's pretty damn solid here. I wish he had stuck around a little longer and not went to the World Bodybuilding Federation.
1: That was an all-time great Vince McMahon move. He, Luger is still under contract to WCW, so he can't wrestle for the WWF, but he can be a WBF
0: bodybuilder. That's, that yeah, was great. great. Uh, you got to give him credit. I mean, Vince ain't, he ain't dumb. That's for damn sure. <laughs>
1: uh, You know, I was on a public access cable show not long after this. And I mean, talk about times of change. Uh, the host, Cody Boyne, says, OK, we have a trivia question. And the winner gets a copy of Halloween Havoc 91. And it was a pretty good show. And I just, like, jump in. I'm like, oh, my God, it sucked. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just because it wasn't that bad a show. If you had taken out the first match, the Chamber of Horrors, I would have said this is a good show. Not a great show, but a good show. But that when it happened, when I watched it initially, it put such a bad taste in my mouth that it was hard for me to enjoy the rest of the show, quite frankly. And I, I watched it over the past few days and I would still give it a thumbs down, but it wasn't as horrible as I remember it. What did you think of the show as a whole, Chris?
0: I would give it like a thumbs in the middle to a thumbs down. And simply because of, like I said, the chamber of horrors was awful. And then just the throwaway matches really brought down the, just the overall quality of the show. If they had like dropped a lot of those matches, it would have been a pretty solid show because you got, you know, you had a good main event. You had, the what's it called? Dustin and what's his name? Uh, Steve Austin. And what was the other Terry Taylor and uh, who was Terry Taylor? wrestle? I'm losing my mind now. Bobby Eaton. So you had three good to great matches. So if they had just had average matches along with that, it would have been like a, a probably a letter grade of a B. But instead, we got to see Van Hammer against, you know, Doug Summers. So <laughs> that didn't help.
1: One thing, if I, I mean, I could have given WCW a lot of advice in 1991, but one of those pieces of advice would have been scour the indies, keep an eye on what's going on in Japan, look for the next competent wrestlers, guys who could actually work instead of just shoveling guys out there. And and there were guys out there they could have hired. And, you know, like I said, they were just happy to have, you know, Van Hammer against Doug Summers on a pay-per-view, which I think. Just not a very good idea.
0: No, and and look at all the guys that they had that eventually went to WWF and became main eventers. You got Diamond Stud. I will say this. One thing that was cool about the Chamber of Horrors, you got to see Sting and Vader square off. And that was before, realistically, as far as like Sting's greatest rivals, Flair's number one. Vader's like number 1A. So it was kind of cool seeing that, knowing what their future held. But Dustin went to WWF. Steve Austin went to WWF. All, All the guys that WCW had And they either just minimized their importance or just didn't do anything with them. And yet they went to WWF and became worldwide stars.
1: I mean, I remember like 95, 96 watching WWF and saying, you know, this is like, you know, middle of the car, WCW guys all getting big pushes like Dustin Rhodes, you know, like what's his name? Mark Merrow. I mean, I was a little bit taken aback
0: by that. Yeah, but that uh, it, it worked. I mean, Goldust was over. Mark Merrill. I I prefer Johnny B. Bad, but that's you know I'm in the minority. I'm sure. But you know they took guys that WCW didn't see anything in or didn't see enough in, and they made them superstars. So, and now there's no WCW. So obviously they they made some mistakes along the way. Yeah,
1: WCW certainly did make some mistakes along the way. I mean, I remember in like '95 being like, you know, I, I'm glad they're still around because as long as they're still around. They can turn it around, but I don't think they will. And I'm surprised that they are still in business. Chris Zauha, I am so glad that you came on the show. This was an excellent episode. Thanks to you, sir. Thank you for coming on.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And I apologize it's been so long to get together, but you know, it's just my schedule is very demanding as a grocery store manager. So I, I appreciate you being patient and uh finding a spot for me on the roster eventually. So thank you. That was a lot uh, of fun.
1: Same here. And, you know, there's always next week's episode and the week after that, the week after that, no worries. I, I always took that slant on it. So I want to thank everyone for listening to the number 35 wrestling podcast out there. I want to thank Lou Kippelman, our producer, for all the great work that he does. And this has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network.
0: This concludes our podcast day.